Coming up, Alec Mappa joins Ileana in just a minute. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, it's the I Blame Dennis Hopper podcast, starring Ileana Douglas. Eavesdrop with Ileana as she interviews Hollywood's most prominent players about filmmaking, acting, and what really happens on the set of your favorite flicks and TV shows. Hi, everyone. It's Ileana Douglas. Welcome to the I Blame Dennis Hopper podcast. I'm here with my lovely co-host, Tamara Berg. Hey, everybody. And uh, we're calling this show today Chumbot, which... Uh, Five Italian people out there will maybe understand. Oh, it's Italian. Okay. Uh, Chambot is uh, is something my grandmother, you know, when you make soup and you kind of throw everything in the refrigerator. Oh, sure. It's it's called like, you know, mixed up uh, a bunch of different things. Is that the um, origin of the, of the term chum? <laughs> well, I you know, I, I've heard people say garbage soup, which oh, sure. sounds horrible. Like, I don't think I would want to have garbage soup but chumbo uh, in our family we call it pantry the pantry game yeah like grab everything that you can you know i'm not yeah. going to the damn store yes i'm making whatever we got what do we have in the pantry and the fridge so we're obviously. gonna get through a number of topics yeah starting what should our first one well be? let's talk about the um pay the pay gap. discrepancy pay gap thing right so itv revealed on tuesday that its employees earn on average 16.4 for the males yes, versus the more. female. Yeah. 16.4% more for the yes. males than the female employees. Opening um, a whole can of worms here. Yep. We're going to keep doing it. I was thinking because, you know, it's hard then not to want pay retroactively. I so agree. That's the first thing I was thinking. It was like, oh, great. More bitterness and resentment yeah, I that know. I can... <laughs> have for because i have worked at places i talk about this in my book when we did grace of my heart the mm. uh kevin smith movie got you know two million dollars more than we did we were both green lit in the same day and we were allison anders and i were like high-fiving until we found out that his movie which took place in one spot at a mall got like two million dollars uh more than our oh than our, ours did and then various places that i've i've worked you know uh it's it's tough, you know, where you you know your male counterpart is making more money than you, and you yeah. do, you're doing the exact same job, yeah. And they don't have kids, you know, so they're, that excuse is sort of flown out the window. Well, that, that excuse is terrible to begin with, I but now it makes no sense. But yeah, well, that used to be the he he, he has, has children. A to, he has a family to provide. But really, for. it's the '80s, and we're both in the same cubicle. But okay, yeah. You know. yeah. Uh, but there's, a, you know, there's just always been this idea that, uh, and we talked about this on Trailblazing Women, mm-hmm. that, that as a society, which I, again, I find so bizarre that, uh, people are more comfortable giving men, uh, you know, a few million dollars to make a movie. But in my life, it was always like my mom did all the, she balanced the checkbook mm-hmm. and, and uh, it was always like the woman that wrote the checks my father spent all the money. <laughs> My mom, you know, put the, you know, she did all the the banking and everything. So that's yeah. so that's that. It'd be, it's again, it's interesting uh, as we go forward. You know what this is. Uh, you know what this this is going to mean. This, but we still don't have. It's still not a law. So it's sort of based on what each company wants to. Uh, 
you know, what each company wants to do. Yeah, of course. And, you know, this came out because, uh, well, I mean, it just keeps coming out, these, these bits of information. But Claire Foy, for playing the queen in The Crown, made uh, a, lot. a lot less yeah. <laughs> than uh, the guy who played Prince Philip. And she's on screen way more than he is. Right. Um, but, you know, I mean, things keep changing within companies. There was an L.A. Times article a couple weeks ago about how easy it is, actually, to find great women directors mm-hmm. um, that, you know, you don't have to dig really hard. There are lots of them out there who are very well accomplished, and of they course. just need to be given more work. Alison Anders, for one. Yeah. Right? No, I think that's uh, true. I, I think that that part of it is actually changing in terms mm-hmm. of television and it's not becoming such a bugaboo that you know oh you were you know all these women or you know they're not going to take over the world or or, or any of that kind maybe of, they will kind of stuff the <laughs> um switching topics the other kind of funny thing i wa- you know was uh uh i incident i watched um which i've seen it so many times but on sunday i went to a friend's house um, to watch a film, uh-huh. our pal Phil Rosenthal, and to watch On the Waterfront on the big screen. Mm. And it's so incredible as a film. They're, they Criterion did a, a re-release of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, again, it just marks, this is 1954, and it just marks such an explosion that a lot of the, you know, the Eva Marie Saint, Carl Malden, uh, Lee J. Cobb, Brando, they were they all were coming out of the actor's studio mm-hmm. and that form oh, yeah. of of acting which sort of exploded on the screen it wasn't just that it was there were so many great things about the the movie but i think that what i identified this time was the idea that it looks like it's the first time you saw people that looked like you in your neighborhood mm. you know as opposed to Cary grant or right. You know, even Humphrey Bogart. Yeah. yeah. That they were really, you know. Relatable? Yeah. You you, you know, the the bartender looked like the bartender and the way they shot it on location. And Eva Marie Saint looked like, even though she's stunning, but she looks like, you know, a neighborhood girl. And I think it's so fascinating that it galvanized a type of acting that really we haven't deviated. Because I'm sure that people like De Niro and Pacino, you know, were watching... Brando, and then they created that style, and then the people after them, you know, the Ryan Goslings. Right. I feel like we haven't really nothing more has changed from from Brando. That's why I always talk about him as really the inventor mm. of kind of a. I mean, they call it the method, but there really isn't any such thing because his teacher was uh, was Stella Adler. But before I went to the movie, I was sort of getting in the mood, and I was watching. Brando on uh, YouTube and Dick Cavett. And, you know, the YouTube's always like a wormhole. And then the next thing I knew, I was watching, you know, a very strange interview with Montgomery Cliff sitting in a rocking chair. And the entire interview, I mean, we think we have it bad now. But the interviewer was, uh, and I was thinking, maybe we should have have rocking chairs for our guests. Oh, yeah. I mean, Lull them into a sense of security. Yeah. Yes. And then... You know, I think I mean, we I think we lull them to begin with with your peanut butter. Yes, you know I do. <laughs> we, we, like we do. like dogs when we're trying to get a pill down their throat. <laughs> um, 
But they, the, the interviewer had all these magazine articles, and he kept asking poor Montgomery Clift about Marlon Brando. He was like, so what do you think of this Marlon Brando? Oh. I mean, I hear stories you two don't get along. And then here's poor, you know, Montgomery Clift, and he's saying, no, that's not true. I respect him, and we were saying I did a movie. And he, the guy was not, he would just keep going back, you know, about how great Marlon Brando oh, was and awesome. asking uh, poor Montgomery Cliff to, you know, to, and he was very gracious about it. But, you know, I thought, man, this is why people like Brando stopped, you know, doing, uh, doing interviews. It was, uh, it was kind of brutal, but it was interesting. Then I made my second mistake, which is that I went uh, to the party and mean, and everybody's always as, I guess, as what is society that normal people do, they talk about current events and films you've seen. And I figured, I was beginning to think that the problem with me is that I start a conversation with, you know, I was just watching Montgomery Clift in this interview, (laughs) sitting in a rocking chair. Where are you going? You know, and then they... And then they leave. And that's so, that's why we have a podcast. <laughs> so I can talk about, yeah, so I can tell my stories and feel like Jack Parr. Um, you know, speaking of Marlon Brando, there's a pretty good story about him in your book. Yes, that's right. if folks have not read yet, should never, definitely read. Never gets tiring. The most inspiring. Uh, he called me a tuning, for, yes, a tuning fork. <laughs> Wait, what? I, t- I said a <laughs> Freudian. My bi- that's my big show business regret. I did not have sex with Marlon Brando. I know. Everybody, everybody knows it. They're, everyone has one big show business regret. There's a couple movies I turned down. They weren't good movies, though. They were bad movies. They might have been good if you'd been in them. Possibly. Possibly. You never know with that stuff. But uh, I have no regrets about turning down Freddy Got Fingered. <laughs> I, even though I, I appreciate Tom Green, the title alone was like, mm. you know, I don't think uh, I could be in a movie like that. Yeah. I, could, I can't be in movies about the devil. Yeah. And I have said this before uh, to Bruce Davison, who's here. I cannot mm. be in a movie with a rat. I can't do it. I'm, yeah. I got a problem with the rats. I got a, a, a an audition call for a video, music video for Butthole Surfers, and my agent was embarrassed to to tell me what it was for. <laughs> really? Years ago, yeah. She's like, I, it's, pardon me for the language, but. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. The last comment I will make before we're going to get to uh, Alec Mappa here today, which I'm very excited about. I've mm. known Alec for many years, and he's so funny and endearing and entertaining and read selections of my book, which we'll talk about. But um, what was I going to say? It just completely has gone out of my head now. Oh, uh, well, I forgot. So that, I guess that's our segue. <laughs> Wait, that's not good. I wonder if I'll remember. I'm very sleepy today. It's you chum are. Butt. We are both sleepy. Today. It's Chumbot Day. Alec. All right, let's bring on Alec, and then hopefully halfway through the show, I'll remember what the heck point I was going to make because I thought it was funny about something funny. or other. Hello, Alec Mappa. Oh, I'm hi. I'm so I'm chumbot today, as I'm telling everyone. Chumbot. That's chum Italian. It just means all mixed up. And okay. Everything in the pot. The Yiddish say fatutst. Fatutst. Yeah. Oh, that's um, a good word. I like that one. I'm all fatutst. I'm gonna say. I'm, I want to read your intro. Oh, look at that lovely headshot. Oh yeah, like from 20 years ago. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's what you like, Joanne Worley. You I just know, mean, I know. just. Let me do your credits. Okay. Alex Mappa, best known for the roles. Well, of course, Ugly Betty, but Marley and Me, uh-huh. Don't Mess with the Zohan, to the television roles, Ugly yes. Betty, Switched at Birth, Half and Half, Devious Maids, Blackish. Please welcome, of course, all your reality stuff and yeah. comedy stuff. Yeah. Thank you so much for being Are here. Are we on the air right now? We're on the air right I've now. I've just been sitting here like. Your producer is very nice. One offered me a bottle of rosé. Nice. He wow. said, I, I, he goes, I said, I said, you want anything? I said, a bottle of rosé. He goes, we could make that happen. I was like, yeah, I probably shouldn't. Oh, yeah. We're, we're very accommodating here. Yeah. <laughs> wow. What, the, the tea and the peanut butter were? <laughs> now, I was asking you, too. Uh, before I ask my favorite first question, uh-huh. you do some cooking. You're a- I do cook. I, did, yeah. I didn't cook before I had a kid, but all of a sudden I was like, yeah, yeah. I want to know what's in this. Right. What my kid's mm-hmm. eating. So, you know. Did you have any, pa- like when you had the, you adopted a five-year-old. Yes. So did you have any like, holy shit, he's got to eat It was now. all holy we- shit. I mean, it was like, <laughs> just holy, it's been holy shit ever since. Like, because like kids are horrible. You figure one thing out and that's fixed. And like, oh, we're done with that. And then, you Something know, it's else. like the Hydra. You cut off one head and seven more pop up. It's like, it's it, problems replace problems. Kids outgrow one thing and Aww. there's like a whole new set. Of, that's right. Yeah. And so now my son is 13. So he's yeah. a dick. Oh, is that his thing? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, he's the mean. Yeah. Well, I mean, is that it's... fifth grade? It's seventh grade. Cynical. That's when oh, they start to grade. push away from you. You're like the Wizard of Oz. The curtain gets pulled back. And they're right. like, you? It's been you this whole time? <laughs> I've been mystified by you, this <laughs> fraud? Yeah. I love that. Okay, we're going to get more of that. I so like this thing, this illustration you of you. That, that should be on merch. Oh, it should, it be? should yeah, be. Yeah, it should right. be on yeah. a mug, yeah. a T-shirt. You like it? Yeah. You like, Bumper you know, sticker. My, th- my theory about show business: you yeah. need you know, sad eyes. Sad eyes. Yeah, sad eyes. I have a sad heart. Does that help? No, you have sad eyes. Yeah, I do have sad eyes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. People who don't have sad eyes don't. It doesn't. Uh, I don't. I don't know why. I just have a weird. I'm on Lexapro now, which is for anxiety. And uh, what is it's? It, it's an anti-anxiety medication because really? I get into the loop. Okay. And what it does is the yeah. serotonin reuptake inhibitors, it kind right. of like gets you out of the loop. So okay. I have, I still experience all my feelings. I don't get stuck in them. I don't get mired uh-huh. in them. So I still feel things. Yeah. And then on the days where I forget to take it, it's right. like, I'm <laughs> wow, so you <laughs> that really I feel notice... everything super intensely. Yeah. You... But oh, I brought it up because I said to, uh, I I asked my therapist, I, do I need to be treating treated for uh, depression? And he goes, mm-hmm. "You're not depressed. I treat depressed people, uh-huh. uh, but I see uh, well, that you're you I, I see that you're exhausted. I see exhaustion uh-huh. and I see anxiety. And I was like, thanks. This has been a very helpful session. That's what happens with a thirteen-year-old, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. Exhaustion and yeah. Anxiety. Do you have kids? No. Oh, so smart. So smart. <laughs> have you thought about having? Another child. No, never. Ever One again. is perfect. No, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. This is enough. This is all the adventure I need. Um, yeah. Okay. Let's get to our my favorite question. Your I've favorite. Never, I've never question. asked you this. Okay. Would, do you remember the first movie you saw and who took you to see? Of course. You grew up in San Francisco. I grew up in San Francisco. Right? So um, beautiful city. Beautiful Love city. It. Damp. 
but lovely. Damp, yes. Damp and lovely. And just scenic yeah. and cold. And, yeah. But um, beautiful. Yes. And beautiful and romantic. Uh, we lived in San Francisco, and the Kitty movie... Uh, place was on Terraville Street. It was called The Fox. Mm-hmm. And this was in the 70s before they cut up theaters. Yeah. Early, early, late 60s, early 70s. Well, the same age. You know, they had, a, they had the Alexandria Theater and the mm-hmm. Coronet Theater where you could see Star Wars and there were loge seats for $6 oh. that rocked back and forth. So uh, she, my grandmother, my Lala, took me to see uh, Dumbo at the mm-hmm. Fox Theater. That was my very first movie. And uh, did you have a were you close to your? I was I, very close to my grandma. Yeah, yeah, both my parents worked, so I was basically raised by my grandma. Uh, yeah, yeah, I went to. I spent a lot of time too with my. The first movie I saw was with my uh, dad's, mm-hmm. my that gr- grandfather, and right. then my other. My grandparents lived in uh, Queens, and like yes. we just we lived at the movies. Yeah, I remember once. Oh, I saw, which I said this once before, my grandmother took me to see Foul Play. And I mean, I think I cried. I love that movie. I like. I think I thought it was the greatest. I made, we and she did it. We yeah. stayed and watched it again. You did? Yeah. With uh, Goldie Hawn and, yeah, Chevy, and Chevy, Chevy Chase. He's so sexy. That was like my idea of a perfect movie. Yeah. You know? And the British Dudley actor, Moore. Dudley Moore. Yeah. That's the first thing I ever saw Dudley Moore me too, in. Me too. And they had that scary albino character. Yeah. And, yeah, um, my movie that I was strangely fascinated with as, as a child, and I couldn't wait to see it over and over again, was the Poseidon Adventure. Oh, great yeah. film! I grew up during it's kind of like the 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 era of fantastic yes. disaster movies. Yes, Towering Inferno, yeah, Towering Inferno, and Earthquake, Earthquake, and uh, yeah, just like Erwin Allen, just people running and screaming and crying. It was just. <laughs> Oh, great. <laughs> and so, and you watch those movies now, and it's kind of like, okay. It was a little more frightening as a kid, yeah. and now it just seems like, uh, you know, it seems the special effects are pre CGI, so they're. Yeah. yeah I yeah. think they're a little better. And did yeah. it bother you? Who did you identify with in the film? Did, was there in, any. In the Poseidon Adventure? Yeah. Like, uh, uh, probably uh, 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 <laughs> Pamela Sue Martin. <laughs> <laughs> Because she had that little hot pants. Remember the little red hot pants? Yes. Through her yes. dress and everything. I thought she was really, really cool. Uh, and I remember her little brother in the movie said, shove it. And I remember my brothers and sisters feeling very <gasps> scandalized by that, that that was really bad language. Yes. Yeah. I, li- I like the cross-section of, uh, you know, of, of those, you're right, of the disaster movies. Yeah. Yeah. And it was always about, like, as cramming as many celebrities into the oh, movie as humanly possible. The best. And, like, and you remember, like, the, the, the poster for the movies would have the little portraits of yeah, each, little, like, yeah. Gloria Swanson in yeah. Airport 75, yeah. you know. <laughs> what what was she been a think, you know, what was she thinking? Like, it's 1975, I'm still in the movies. I'm, probably. I'm Gloria Swanson in Airport. Yeah, probably. Yeah, this is it. This is going to make me. Well, you know, once on television, because I missed it, uh, I actually saw the original, I saw Airport Two mm-hmm. at the theater. The first one, I was too young, but but like not long ago, maybe right. ten years ago, for the right. first time, I actually saw the original, the original airport, airport with Dean Martin, yeah, and Helen Hayes, which is yeah. pretty good. Yeah, it's actually, yeah, it's a little more, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's got some cheese ball. Did yeah, but s- it's not like the ultimate like celebrities in peril, you know, no. kind of like yeah. What about? Did you ever see? I'll to give you a bad one. Remember Roller Coaster? Roller Coaster, yeah, in Sense Around. <laughs> It was, it was, this is the whole plot. It was, there was a terrorist who was targeting amusement parks. 
and bombing roller coasters. <laughs> yeah. I vaguely remember and that And it was one. the second yeah. film presented in uh, the technology that was sense around. Yes. Which was just, they would just put on the base of the movie theater uh, really, really loud. So yeah. it seemed like the seats were vibrating. So yeah. they had it for Earthquake and they had it for Roller Coaster. Yeah. That was, a, that was when they were really, but I think it was George Siegel. Was it? I'm going to take a wild okay. guess. The I, opening of Roller Coaster is still pretty frightening. Yeah. It's a, a bomb goes off at like I think at the Coney Island Cyclone or something like that, and it's it's pretty gory. Like it's like yeah, people get decapitated and stuff. Yeah, they had yeah. no problem like you know chill, you know blowing up children in right those, in those early and like films. really like a lot of gory stuff in the seventies. <laughs> I remember when mm. with uh, do you ever see the Fury with Amy Irving oh. and Andrew Stevens where they both had telekinetic powers? Of course, and that's they were being uh, recruited by the CIA with John Cassavetes and Brian De Palma. Yeah, yeah, I love that movie. I did too, yeah. and I didn't know that you know it's like it used. You, when did you start to get an awareness that somebody makes films? You know, like you like a um, movie and then you put it together. Oh, Carrie, the I Fury. Think, I think around the late 70s, yeah. Carrie, the Fury. Because Brian De Palma had Carrie, Fury, and then Dressed to Kill, like three oh, in a row. And then I kind of knew that if you went to a Brian De Palma film, you were going to yeah. were in for some excitement. I, well, you know? I, I grew up in the drive-in era, so we would see a lot of yeah. movies at the, at the drive-in. Our dad would hide us in the back under a blanket so we wouldn't have to pay for all the kids. Did everybody do that? Yeah. It was only a dollar. I know, I know. It's <laughs> so cheap. <laughs> us too. Yeah. The effort that yeah. we went yeah. to. Because yeah. then you could buy a soda. You could buy yeah. soda pop. But I I don't think the sound in those movies was ever good. Was it no, ever good? We saw the movie. I remember seeing Serpico in the rain. Yeah. And, like, and it was we a gigantic, unyieldy yeah, speaker. Thing. It was about the size of your head. And you had to hang it on your window. I and know. it was in the car. Yeah. But I was well. That was the hub of my whole social life. Gr- the drive-in was the drive-in, mm-hmm. and I mean, because we grew up in a small town, right, so like right. in order to have any social life away from your parents, uh-huh. everything you had to, to go to the drive-in. Had to go to the drive-in. <laughs> but I was, but I was so unpopular, like nobody thought it was good looking. <laughs> so I would just actually watch the movie. Well, you sure showed them, didn't oh, you, Eliana well, Douglas? Yeah, we'll yeah. see. <laughs> Like I was saying at the top of the thing, I said, it, w- when you start every conversation with, you know, I was watching an old interview with Montgomery Cliff. It, it's like people are like, and it's yeah, 1972. Excuse me, yeah, and yeah. they leave, you know. Right. I don't have a lot in common with But them. I had a weird relationship with the movies because my father grew up in the Philippines and then mm-hmm. the Japanese invaded the Philippines. And so. It, it, they used to get American culture right away. So for all mm. of the war, they were stuck in Depression-era movies because no new movies could come in. Right. So my father, as a kid, watched the same movies over and over again. Errol Flynn, um, Ginger Rogers, any mm. anything of the 30s. So when I grew up, before the advent of VCRs and yeah. you know on-demand, we would have to go to revival houses in San Francisco and watch these old movies and everything. So I grew up watching all of that stuff. But that's probably fun. That's probably what informed, you know, to, to get to see them on, yeah, the, on the big yeah. screen. Yeah, and also kind of like I didn't really get the kind of political context of things as a kid. I just right. thought, oh, it's Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, and it's a romantic comedy, and they hate yeah. each other at first, and then they dance, and they fall in love. But, like, <laughs> looking back at it now, I'm fascinated by the idea that everybody in America was starving to death. They had no money. Uh-huh. And they want to go to the movies to watch rich people sing and dance. Yeah. Well, like, like they wanted to go to movies. The escape was, you know, we're broke. It's, you know, it's like that movie with Mia Farrow where she walks into the picture and mm-hmm. 
I forget the name. I'm having a total brain fart. Which one? Um, Mia Farrow, and she's she's working as a waitress in a restaurant. And she's married to Danny Aiello, and oh. uh, Purple Rose of Cairo. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I like that idea. Yeah. Well, I was fascinated by the idea of somebody like Shirley Temple. Mm-hmm. You know, she was always an orphan. She's always Her an orphan. Her parents were always like... Killed. Killed. Like the first, within the first 15 yeah. minutes, it's like. She's the, she's the who's, widow maker. Who's going to tell little Shirley <laughs> that her mom has been and run a, over? And a really gra- that was Yeah, that was a movie. Where her mom was bringing her a birthday cake in one of the movies and she gets hit by a car. Yeah. Like at Sunset Gower or something. Yeah. Crossing the and, street. And like, so when you're a kid, that part, you think it's fun. You're like, oh, some rich family is going to adopt right, me. But right. when you watch it as a grown up, you're yeah. like. Part a little traumatized, but she can still sing and dance, which is that's the most true. important thing. Now, when did the uh, singing and dancing come into play? Did you have like were you did you entertain your parents? Did you think yeah, they, probably they were a funny little too much? Or... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. My parents yeah. didn't think I was funny at all. Uh, my father's very funny. Uh-huh. My father's very funny. But, you know, I was like Paul Lynn funny. I was like Waylon Flowers and Madam funny. I mean, at <laughs> So 10. were you watching Match yeah. Game? And- oh, oh my yeah. God, yeah. I, I was thought like, that was like... Uh, me too. That That's- was the epitome of stardom. I thought I me will too. have made it if I'm ever on the $20,000 pyramid. I know. You know? Yep. And, and I would watch Rita Moreno on the $20,000 pyramid and just like, she was so good. And yeah. Never once thinking she won an Oscar and she's on the twenty thousand dollar pyramid. Oh no, I thought Match Game was like again, like to yeah. be friends with Charles Nelson right. Riley. And, and apparently they were all loaded during the making of that show. Sure. They were all like drunk. Isn't that funny yeah. that as kids, like, because I remember running home from school and mm-hmm. wanting to watch Match Game yeah. and then Tattletales. Yeah, right afterwards, Match Game and Tattletales. And I think they all were. Yeah, I had a crush on Bobby Van. Bobby Van, that's a good one. My yeah, he was a, a former, and again, like it took me years to like. Oh, he actually had a career. He was yeah. a song and dance man. <laughs> you didn't know he, that he wasn't just like on a that. game show, yeah. you know, with Bert. Convey. I didn't know Elky Summers had ever been in a movie. I only ever saw her in game shows. I know yeah. all those, all those yeah. John Davidson, Charlie Weaver. Oh God, were, what was that about? Hollywood Squares. Hollywood Squares. Oh, yeah. Obsessed, obsessed. That was that was special because uh, as the people of the podcast know, we only got one channel growing up. This is my <laughs> My famous <laughs> horrifying childhood. We only got channel no remote two. necessary. Just one channel. We only get channel two. Yeah. So I am prolific in my TV. If it's on CBS, a- anything else, I had to like. I'd watch it at a friend's what? house. What you didn't have the technology to get the two other we channels. We were very were only poor. Three. We were poor, and my mom would not buy an antenna because oh. we, we couldn't afford it. Okay. And so finally, she bought the antenna, but uh-huh. she wouldn't buy the rotor. Uh, and so we had to, it was, you had to climb on top of the roof. Did I, you miss the advent of the great TV movies of the seventies? This is in my, I mean, just th- like, this is, I had to fake my way, like at school when people yeah. were talking about the Brady Bunch. Yeah. There were the only three family. channels. So yeah. ABC always had like some groundbreaking TV movie of the week. Like Dawn, Dawn, Plum, Portrait of Dawn, a Portrait, Teenage yeah, yeah, yeah. Portrait of a Teenage Runaway. And then Linda Blair had a trilogy of movies. There was, um, yeah. Sarah T, Portrait of a Teenage alcoholic yes. born innocent where she was kidnapped oh. by martin sheen yeah and then there was one more i forget was sweet hostage or something like that yeah yeah and then um john travolta in boy, boy in, in the, the plastic, plastic bubble, bubble. Yep. yep and then there was one with linda blair and sean cassidy where they played mentally retarded lovers 
my god. Yeah. Sort of yeah. Like, I sort and, of yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. And they were, it was called um I'm oh going to belly her dad. Yeah, I'm going to marry her dad. And then and, and but there was like there was always like a TV movie of the week after that where television actors in order to show their stuff would play a yeah. mentally disabled person and everything <laughs> kind of like that was the stretch. Oh, that the was good like old days. Yeah. That's when I'd have to uh, go to like a friend's house for yeah, a sleepover. Like other people. Like normal people. Yeah. That's what the name in the movie. Okay, like there you go. Oh, people. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You got Farrah Fawcett, Burning Bed. Yeah. Oh, so good. Yeah. That was a good so one. That was a really good one. Did you ever do... You did a lot of TV movies. I did not. You didn't? I just feel like I did. Yeah. I only did one. Uh, I did... Uh, it was called Bella Mafia. But yes. But it, it made up for... Yeah. It, and Jennifer Tilly and I... TV movies need to come back. No. I love fun. those. Rich Man, Poor Man. Did you watch that miniseries? ABC. Oh, so, oh, Here so we go sorry. again. I'm so sorry. Roots, I missed it. It's you missed it. ABC. It was very, very yeah. hard. And then, but you had a grandparent who was a movie star. So yeah, that makes that's up for, true. I didn't have a grandparent who was a movie. He star. He would take me to see musicals, which was insane. You know, my first musical was Chorus Line. Yeah. So that's all. When I would go visit him, that's all I wanted to do. How was, old were you when you saw that? When I saw Chorus, Chorus Line, Line yeah. I'm not good with ages, yeah. but you know, young. Yeah, I, mean, I was young when I saw that, and I was kind of shocked that my parents took me. <gasps> it was just it was so cool. My grandfather would take me. I, you know, I asked him like what I wanted for Christmas, and I, mm. I wanted a subscription to New York Magazine. <laughs> out of my mind and so i would have it and i'd circle it you know we had no money like we're living in this commune i had a a, that's all i cared about i had a lesbian aunt who had very provocative reading material in her room that i would pilfer through when she wasn't home and she uh she had this uh Subscription. It was kind of like a queer subscription that didn't say it was queer because it was like 1976, 77. It was called After Dark Magazine. And it was all about New York nightlife and Studio 54. And there would be a pictorial in the middle of like some Broadway chorus boy or something with his bio and stuff. It was very provocative. I had a cousin who worked at Fiorucci, Mm. which again, this was the the department store. Uh, Right around from Bloomingdale's. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I never went in it, but just I knew about it from New York magazine and again that, that was the epitome of cool yeah and she was like razor thin and right i my like my window in new york at that time was after dark magazine i used to like think oh this is what it must be like so, <gasps> so, did so you, shocking so were you like me like did you have that dream like i've got i i mean to me it was like there's a picture i did on instagram where, mm-hmm. li- where i'm holding my new york magazine i look like a hostage <laughs> like a big hostage <laughs> Proof of survival. Help! Like, all I cared about was, like, one day. Yeah. Why, so I talk about when I saw Chorus Line, mm-hmm. and I had to get back on the bus and go back to Connecticut. Uh, I just didn't. Devastating. No, I, I, when I saw that musical, I was like, this is where I belong. I belong in New York. I saw, I'm a misfit. I, yeah. I saw fame at Cinerama Dome. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that New was another York. Yeah. yeah. That's when my New York fantasy began. And I went as soon as I could, 18. Me too. And where yeah. was you? Do you remember like where your first apartment was? Sure. Um, oh my God. Horrible. I was lived on Van Dam Street in Soho before Soho was Soho. Yeah. And me and three other uh, uh, kids from NYU all pooled our money and yeah. paid the rent and slept out in this big loft floor. And then we came home one day and the cops were there. And they were like, you got to get out of here. And we're like, why? Because this apartment has been illegally sublet. Our landlord was a cokehead who was living in the utility closet across the <laughs> hall. He'd like snorted all his money and was using <laughs> us to pay the rent. So that was my big welcome I to New York. I love stuff like that. Yeah. That happened to me once in an apartment where 
we sublet it for a guy, from a guy, mm-hmm. and the guy's father showed up, and it was like, oh, you're not Dan's father. And he's like, who's Dan? <laughs> <laughs> He had subletted to someone else. Right, right. And we had to like, he's like, well, you need to get out of here in an hour. Yeah. Like, we, 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 yeah. It was fishy. It was really fishy. Like, we'd come home and there'd be food eaten. And (laughs) it was, yeah. But you were living the dream. I was living the dream. It's kind of, you have to be 18 years old to kind of like not care about that kind of thing. Right. I I hate that I say this because I feel like I'm an old person, but I feel as if New York does not have that same fun vibe as it did in 83 when we were there. I don't think the model of going to New York as a young artist and living in a cheap apartment and kind of honing your craft exists anymore. I I think it's it's too expensive. It's too, yeah. 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 Because it was like, it was crazy fun. Crazy fun. Danceteria, the Cat Club. I worked at Boy Bar on St. Mark's Place. I mean, it was just kind of like, (gasps) just big time showbiz, you know, just kind of so exciting just to be in New York. And and it was dangerous and dirty and really exciting. And And yet scraping on the sidelines. Well, my first job was for Steve Rebell Mm -hmm. when they got out of prison. Right. and uh, they were turning this, uh, it was called the Hotel Executive. Mm-hmm. And one of our good-looking friends got in. And then he yeah. got, as as w- jobs went in those days, right. if one person got in. Right, right. It's like the Marx Brothers. Uh-huh. They'd bring in all their friends. Yeah. And we would do a variety of things for Steve Rebell. But it also included, like, I need you to pick up Joan Collins from this the This is airport. post-prison Steve yes. Rebell. Yeah, yeah. You know, or, uh, we, you know, Norma Kamali needs her apartment repainted. And so, like, we were thrilled, you know, to do all this stuff. And then he'd pay us in, like, a quaalude for, you know. Thank you. Because you guys were really, here, take it. Wow. He actually gave, gave us quaaludes. Do uh, those even exist anymore? No. Because I remember we, enjoying those a great deal. See, I, we only, I was like, we only had, took them once, and I do at least have a photo to, mm-hmm. we stayed, we were so scared. We got like a room, and he was he was really nice, though. He knew we all wanted to be actors sure. and everything. And take quaaludes. And after, yeah. <laughs> Everybody loves quaaludes. It's part of the craft. You want to be an actor? I talk about like that. Yeah. I saw like my grandmother Narcotics. when she would talk about the mob guys. Right. Oh, they weren't so bad. They weren't so, they weren't so bad. <laughs> They'd give you a quarter. Make you know, like that's how I feel like about Steve Rebell. He wasn't so bad. He, he gave us quaaludes. So Help me. Every once in a while, like if we were doing a short movie or something, he goes, "Yeah, you can use the car," you know. And then he'd, you know, he'd let us use his car. Wow. Right, but then the payback was like sometimes, like I said, yeah, you, know, you, you get a call, you know, I need you to move Norma Kamali out of okay. her, you know. All right. God, what just weird, coked up people needing favors? Like, I need a kid to like paint my apartment or move my car. Steve, yeah. take care of this. He well because he, you know, because in the in the trade of celebrity. You needed people that were trustworthy sure so like again you know if i mean i had like you know one one of my jobs was like i won't mention the person but like bringing one girlfriend down and bringing the other one up you know so that they didn't run into each other oh and the hotel you know rick james stayed at our our hotel which was another insane i bet yeah he literally, you know, because steve would let people celebrities yeah would stay for free 
Meanwhile, someone from Kansas would have would have the stu- Studio Fifty Four special weekend, <laughs> and they'd like pay through the nose. Wow, you know. So it was, uh, but it was it was fun. It was exciting. It was I just- was at a party at a club in Chelsea. And we walked into a room, and it was one of those themed clubs where they would change it every six weeks. Walked into one room, and there was just a bedroom with a canopy bed in it. And I was there with my sister, and we walked in, and it was Rick James just in the bed, just <laughs> waiting for somebody. And we're like, okay, I'm going to go back downstairs. And there was an air of foreboding in the air. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wow. yeah. That's how, we used to call Steve, and we'd be like, he's in the lobby again. Uh, in his bathrobe, and it's undone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just shocking environments, like, just kind of like... Totally normal. Oh, my God. Did you ever go to the Saint? That was that, it was that big, huge gay club in the East Village that had a planetarium in the middle. It sounds very familiar. And just people just having sex everywhere and every dark crevice. And, I used to hear yeah. about things. I remember this was the era where many, many friends and roommates who were... Uh, straight, but you knew they were gay. Uh-huh. Then were bi. <laughs> okay, and okay. then you're like, okay, uh-huh. now they're gay. You know, yeah, there was a yeah. lot of times like people were in the when I was in acting school originally. Yeah. It was a lot of like closeted people. Sure, to be you know, it's like it's it's again, it's not it's like a, the kids today. No, it's so interesting. No. Everyone has the you know, they're all fluid. The openness, yes. but uh, we were there. I was I was witness to a lot of experimentation. Yeah, we needed quaaludes to feel open. That's it. <laughs> that was the social lubricant we needed back then. It like, but it was kind of fun. Yeah. Like, where it was like, oh, he's gay. He's with Bjorn in the other room. What's happening? <laughs> he's coming out. I had a guy come out in my apartment. It happened. He came, yeah to you. No, no, two. He brought a, a you know a guy home, oh. and, and then my roommate who la- who was in the closet at the time. Uh-huh. This is like way too much information, right? Right. But he was in the closet, and I kind of knew he was gay, but he wasn't yeah. ready to see it. Aww. But we were roommates, and we let the other guy stay with us because he needed a place to stay. Uh-huh. And then I had another guy that was openly gay, Swedish guy mm-hmm. named Bjorn, and <laughs> we were we came, we were like you know hidden in the bathroom while the other guy was like okay I guess he's coming out I guess it's happening tonight and we were like in the bathroom and we we're like what are we gonna do it's a one room <laughs> apartment like we have nowhere to go and so we stayed in the in the bathroom so we and that's like a social situation you wouldn't tolerate as an adult. Now it would just be like uh, that's like kid drama. That's kid stuff, is it? But it was like well, those are the kind of things that happen. I was like, oh, kind of going with a moment, you know. You just you just mm. sort of look the other look the other way, right? Um, so let's talk about when. Now, did you first was musicals your first? Did you get involved with musicals? No, or theater I did plays. Comedy? I did theater. I did theater all the time. I did plays in San Francisco. I interned. There was like, it was like the the heyday of the late seventies, kind of Sam Shepard, the Magic Theater. Yeah. You know, there was a lot of experimental theater in San Francisco. Um, ACT, American Conservatory Theater. Right. There was a lot, but there was like a lot of really good actors in San Francisco and people who just wanted to do plays. Yeah. And so I would, I interned at a place called the One Act Theater Company, mm-hmm. and I did plays. I finally moved up to the company, and then uh, I did plays all through high school. In and around San Francisco, and mm-hmm. then I auditioned for NYU and got in. Wow! And uh, I went to NYU for four years, and while I was there, I wasn't getting cast in anything, and that's when I started doing stand up mm-hmm. at like all the gay bars and stuff, and Hell's Kitchen and everything. And it was kind of um, 
everything was just really homemade and yeah. and and unpolished and experimental and I felt yeah. like I was young enough to not be afraid to yes. try things and just kind of you know it's bomb. A, we- <laughs> That's true. We have a kind of a similar thing because I started doing stand up too, not because I was good at it, right. but the same thing like to perform. I just couldn't get acting roles. Right. And then I saw this thing like a contest and you win $50. It was mm-hmm. like, how hard could it be mm-hmm. like to come up with five minutes of material? Right. You know? And then, then, but the, the whole stand up world was just not for me. Yeah. Yeah, we used to see, but people starting out, like, I remember we, we, we performed with Mario Cantone in the West Village at this mm-hmm. place called the Paper Moon, and there was an open mic night that was hosted by Colin Quinn, who I always had a big crush on, and, uh-huh. and his whole act was he would bomb every single night. He would wow. just bomb. But then after a while, that became the act, right? That because he would, like, editorialize after people didn't get something, and that became <laughs> the act of, like, I'm terrible, but it was so funny. Yeah. And how did you get involved with? Uh, did you audition for uh, M Butterfly? Then? Yeah, That's like my huge... agent set me up for that, and I was wow. like, "This is never going to go anywhere." It was about a French diplomat who has a twenty-year love affair with a Chinese opera star, and yeah. after twenty years, he discovers that his lover's a man. I mean, yeah. I remember reading the script and thinking, "I'm from San Francisco. This kind of thing happens on the bus. This is like <laughs> not going to go anywhere." And it became this huge thing. Yes, and that, but that was my very first job. I was the understudy. I understudied B.D. Wong, who won a Tony. And then I did the play on Broadway for a year, and then I toured with it and came out here. Now, I saw the play with John Lithgow. Yeah. Did he originate the role? Yeah. John Lithgow. Oh, he's just amazing. It was incredible. Yeah, yeah. John Lithgow was just like, just the most generous, lovely, lovely person. You've met him, probably. Uh, You know, socially, but not the, uh, I always, I had a, I went to see the play twice. Yeah. Because again, when we were in acting school, sometimes you could. Sure. Snag. I saw the second act of everything. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Me too. I found a really good way. When they would ask for a ticket, I'd have a notebook in my hand. I said, I'm, I'm taking notes for the director. Oh. If you need this seat, just let me know. And they'd be like, oh, okay. okay. That's a good yeah. One. yeah. You know what? Little tip. Great scam. Yeah, yeah. My room, one of my roommates who was here, Stephen Rogers, who wrote I, Tanya, we used to like put on tuxedos and like, we, again, we were insane. <laughs> yeah. We'd like go, we'd walk into the plaza and just like go to different weddings and make up stories. I and- crashed the opening night party for Jerome Robbins Broadway. <gasps> yeah. And we saw every single movie star going into the ballroom, yes. Lauren Bacall and Barbara Walters yes. and Harry Reisner and whatever. Yeah. It was like, you know, I guess it's like 1987 or 1988. Yeah. And my sister and I were standing outside like Stella Dallas kind of watching. And so yeah. we walked in. We walked to the second floor of the ballroom because there were doors. And we yeah. just opened a door. And all of a sudden we were in the party. And I was like, "Let's go!" Yeah, it was so much easier in <laughs> yeah. those days. Yeah. That's funny. The uh, I saw that show a lot because I knew Jerome. I had dated Jerome Robbins' assistant. Mm. Uh, you know, and he who it was funny because he he said that Jerome Robbins <laughs> made him cut out, made him clip coupons. That always stuck. What? I don't know. He made him clip coupons. Yeah, for him. Who knew Jerome Robbins was so thrifty? Was so thrifty yeah. that he's so. What well, that was a great show. All the boys in that show were about twenty, twenty-two years old tops. Like there were even some eighteen-year-old boys, and I used to run with that crowd after I do my show. Right. We would all meet each other at Sam's and have dinner, and then we'd hit some club. Wow. This is like we're doing eight oh, shows a wow. week on Broadway, but I'm yeah. like twenty-three years old. It's incredible. And but I could never do that now. I'm in bed by ten. You know, yeah. it's like, uh, it, like if I had to do that schedule now, it would be like, bye, uh, good night, 
I know. I used to get up in the morning. I don't yeah. know how I would. I would walk from like I'd walk across the park to mm-hmm. go to the neighborhood playhouse because we didn't have any money. So right. it was like literally just walk, <laughs> just walk like everywhere. With my walk yeah, but the city you can do that in. It was yeah. just like so exciting and just kind of. I have a lot of really romantic memories of that, and I'm sure it wasn't as nice. <laughs> I guess it was a really hard life, oh, but it was like there was a sense of possibility and a sense of immortality, I guess. You didn't yeah. really have a sense of like you could get hurt or you could throw your back out or yeah. you know, I, anything like that. No, I, I, I loved it. And then you went around. You Did you tour with Lithgow or did somebody? No, I else? toured with um, uh, an actor named Philip Anglum, who was the original Elephant Man on Broadway. Oh, wow. He was very, very beautiful. Uh-huh. And we had a, a very um, intense showmance for a year. Really? Yeah. I had, like, my own French lieutenant's woman experience happening where we were playing lovers on stage and we were lovers off stage. Oh, my God. That sounds like a movie. Yeah, a really fucked up movie. (laughs) (laughs) That is an intense play with nudity. Yeah, with nudity. I was naked a lot, yeah. And yeah. you didn't have any... Pro- I mean, I, I remember the, the first didn't time care. when I saw B.D. Wong, I was like, wow, that's... Uh, yeah. That was the first time I saw nudity in the... Really? In there the was theater? a lot of naked people in theater in, the, in, in the theater. New I York. mean, outside of acting clients. Right, things right. Things like that. But right. on Broadway... Were you ever naked in anything? Uh, in movies. Yeah. Yeah. How I much mean, did you show? Well, just the, you know, is the, the the thing is you're naked, but yeah. it's, it's what the camera sees or what the right. crew... The crew sees everything. Did you show boobies? Uh, uh, probably, yeah. yeah. But it's it doesn't. I'm trying to. W- the reason I'm hesitating is to, <laughs> on the crew. Yes. Yeah. Is it in the film? No. No. Huh. So you know, at the end, you're like, well, what the heck did I do that right. for? What was that for? <laughs> you know, like right. six foot six. When I had to do six feet under, when they wanted me to come back, right. full. They wanted full on nudity. Wow. Full on nudity. Me and Freddie Rodriguez. Yeah. And it was. Uh, it was. Tough. Oh, he's so cute. He is. He's adorable. Yeah. But yeah. it was like, you know, the thing is, again, you have this idea. You're not alone. There's no, a bunch of no, you're not people alone. watching yeah. you. And it's yeah. not, you know. You know what? I, I understudied that show and being a, an understudy for a lead in a Broadway show. Somebody described it to me later on. It's like, you're an animal in the middle of the woods and you're in a cage. Yeah. You're watching all the other animals kind of behave mm. and frolic. And so yeah. when they let out that cage, I would have done anything. I was like naked. I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. I th- I think that's true, and yeah. you you know what you, a certain adrenaline probably sure, you sure. know hits you. That and you it is. It was Broadway. I mean, it was my dream come true. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. You do? Did you do plays? A great I deal? did. I did yeah. a lot. I started out doing a lot of plays mm-hmm. and comedy and things like that, and then um, just went straight into movies. Right. Um, right. I, as soon as I got a first movie gig, that amazes me that you could kind of like because movies still mystify me. Like I'm not intimidated by acting in television uh-huh. or acting in front of a live audience, but the minute it has a, the heading of a movie, I become very self conscious. See, that's interesting because yeah. I like movies, and I always thought I would like TV more. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of the rigmarole of TV, right. I felt like there was a lot of authority in TV. There like, is because it's if you're playing beat the clock. You, you know, you got to film those five pages a day, no matter what, or ten pages, and get through it, no matter what. There's not the, the kind of leisurely time of like we can do, right? We can try this a whole bunch of different ways. I remember being such a fan of Ugly Betty, mm-hmm. and then being on Ugly Betty mm-hmm. was like so hard. I mean, it was like sixteen, seventeen hour days. Yeah. 
and like just doing something again and again yeah. and again. I'm and good again. at that though. You are. Yeah, I'm good at that. I keep. I have my crossword puzzle. I keep myself entertained. I know when to rest. <laughs> I feel like also the size of the screen kind of allows me to overact yeah. a little bit. And film is just so telling. It's so like, you know, mm-hmm. which is why I love watching a really good performance of something. Kind mm-hmm. of like, because you, like, Gosford Park was on the other day. Oh, okay. Which has like a million amazing tiny little performances in it right. that are amazing. Mm-hmm. Like Helen Mirren will just look at Clive Owen in a way that's very telling and knowing. And I'll, yeah. I'll just rewind that moment back and back again and, you know. The uh, you were in a movie, uh, Bright Lights, Big City. Did yeah, you, it, I was horrible in it. Perfect example. <laughs> were you horrible? Did you work with the first director? Uh, yeah, Joyce Chopra, who, who was fired. Yes. Now the reason I know this yeah. is because it's, it's so funny where paths have yeah. crossed. I worked for a publicist named Peggy Siegel. Yes. And the Bright Lights, Big City was our film. Mm-hmm. I actually wrote the press kit. For, oh wow! For, for that film, yes. I played Yasu Wade, fact checker. This was when Michael J. Fox was a movie star. Yeah, this was a big deal, but it was mm-hmm. a problematic film. Did, yes. it, did any of those problems, and I went to the set a couple times, it was dire. I was willfully ignorant. Um, Joyce was directing. She didn't seem all that confident. Yeah. We took a break for two weeks, yeah. and we all came back, and half the cast was fired. Yeah. Megan Mullally was fired. Mm. Um, uh, Shirley Knight was fired and uh, replaced with um, a whole bunch of different actors. Swoozy Tracy Pollan, Swoozy, Swoozy Kurtz. Kurtz came yeah, in. Yeah, Swoozy Kurtz came in. Yeah. Yeah, and I was so charmed by her. I just thought she was so interesting and fun. And I was like, what are you doing after this? She goes, I'm never working again. Really? And I said, really? She goes, I say that because that's what it always feels like. <laughs> she, that was the first. Never working again. That was the first time I ever wrote a press kit. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember like being on the phone with Swizzy Kurt. She, she lived next door to Bob Hope. And like I had in the press kit, like, you know, I remember, Kurtz, neighbor my, of Bob yeah, my boss was like, nobody gives a shit about this. <laughs> what is this? It's a little factoid. I was like, I thought it was kind of, okay, yeah. sorry. Didn't know. she live on Park Avenue or something like that? She had like some fancy address. I think she did. Yeah. I think they all did. Yeah. But, um, uh, but it's interesting. Did you, did you learn anything from that film? <sighs> Um, Michael J. Fox just did not seem to be, and I love Michael J. Yeah, Fox. Yeah, he, he was just, a delightful human being. And yes. He was really, and 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 1987, he was a movie star, Huge. and and he would play things whether or not they was right for him. Right. So he had one movie where he did uh, he played a Vietnam veteran who was yes. casualties of war, and yeah. it was like, well, okay, Michael Fox is. A, <laughs> and then this one was Bright Lights, Big City was the book. Yeah, you know, it was about that time in New York City, and he was going to embody this big cokehead, whether or not he could actually play it. I know. Yeah, it was. Uh, I it, just remember being at the premiere and seeing how awful I was, and I tuned out the rest of it. I was just so traumatized. And what did you think like, you were? Ugh. Why did you think you were awful? I looked at the camera at one point. What? I think I actually looked over at the camera into the lens. I don't know how that made it into the edit. Um, I was just kind of like, I didn't make any choices. Yeah. I didn't make any deliberate choices. I kind of was like, uh, I I wasn't. Did you think just being funny would be enough? Yeah. 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 Yeah, and so you kind of see this kind of like groundless performance. Kind mm-hmm. of, it's not rooted in anything real. It's not right. kind of, yeah. No, it's a big blot. I think that's what the be- <laughs> beginning is like. My, my first, but, uh, you learn through failure. You learn totally. through failure. Kind of like, okay, I'm not going to do that again. I'm yeah. not talented enough to wing it. 
Uh, you have to be prepared. Yeah. You know? Well, it takes a while, you know, it takes a while, and you got to yeah. learn where the camera is. Oh, yeah. And all, no, I didn't know, know any of that stuff. Yeah, you start to learn, and once you know lenses, right. I always, th- you know, when I did To Die For, and I was like, oh, lenses, this right. is fascinating. Yeah. That was a game changer for oh, me. Oh, yeah. For me, it was uh, picking an eye. And oh, we had oh right, to look face at. Face to face. Yeah. Because if you don't pick an eye, it, it, and, and on a movie, you right. just look like Cookie Monster. Your eyes like are shifty. like going, yeah, yeah. yeah, your eyes are going back and forth. Yeah, that's yeah. tough. Yeah. Sometimes they're, they're right or looking at their forehead or right. so, things like that. Ridiculous. Those are all those Michael Caine. Right. Those are all those crazy Michael Oh, yeah. That's his, that was his acting class. <laughs> acting tips, Michael Caine. But he was like, he's the master of all that stuff. I the know. technical stuff. His tip was never take a nap when you're on a movie set. Don't nap. Yeah. Because when you come out, you're going to look tired. Well, or you just... See, I always have to stay in character. Like, I can't. That's you're why. that actress? You're Daniel Day-Lewis? Well, that's like when we did Ugly Betty. It's mm-hmm. like you come in and it's like, we're ready for you. It's like, it's midnight uh, and we're doing an office and scene. And you've been in character this entire time? Yeah. Like, you you know, they... Ah, lady. You know, where you... Because well, what are you supposed to do? To cross I mean, your puzzles, hang out. Gossip. I watch movies, yeah, or listen to music yeah. or dance. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think that if it's a comedy, I can kind of hang out and everything. Yeah. But with if it's a serious thing and I have to be emotional, then I kind of I kind of take things more seriously, right? And kind of try to stay in that space because I think it's hard to get into that space. Uh-huh. For me, I'm easily distracted, so I find that if I have like a really emotional thing, yeah. I did a um a TV series with Treat Williams. Oh, I love him. Oh God, I had such a crush on him. And I was I was the social worker in the hospital that harvested organs. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's not a- when people died. Yes, yes. You know, like I would be yeah. the one like could you give are we carrying the cooler? Oh yeah. No, yeah. no, no. Are you carrying I, yeah, the cooler? I, I was, yeah, and so uh I, love it. I, I go through all this thing to get this uh 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 organ from somebody who died in a car accident and it gets transplanted into somebody else and it doesn't take and everybody dies. Oh. And I had to be the one to kind of tell people this was my call and it was like you know, one of those lip yeah. trembly things and did yeah. you did you uh would you did you ask Treat Williams like about Movies or hair? No, he seemed or... very distracted. Oh, he did? Yeah, no, he couldn't be bothered with me. Oh, no, no. I hate that. Yeah, yeah, no. He, <laughs> he wasn't having me. Oh, really? Yeah, no. Oh, that's yeah. too bad. Yeah. I did tell him that I was like, wow, boy, you. Really? <laughs> yeah, I was like, I've had a question you for a really long time. Oh, and he was flattered by that, but he, he was, was, yeah. But he yeah. backed up Yeah, a he bit. backed, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, another movie you were part of, uh, uh, just because it was a certain genre of movie playing uh, by heart. Oh, yeah. Remember that yeah. genre of movie where yeah, everyone... Yeah, Love Actually. It's like, let's put everybody in this movie. In the night, yeah. I'm surprised you weren't in that movie. No, well, they must have had somebody that was... I mean, it had Jon Stewart in it. Yeah, Jon Stewart. Jenna Rowland. Jenna, and... Sean Connery. <laughs> Angelina Jolie. Yeah. Ryan Philippe. Yeah. Dennis Quaid. Jillian Anderson. Um, Charo. Like yeah, like everybody was in this movie. Julie Anderson probably took my part. Was it 1998? Yeah, that was 1998 my, or something like I think that. I was out in LA. Yeah. And I was I was being quirky, funny friends in 1990. <laughs> that was the year of the. I was like, I'm, I cannot play one more. I was playing a lot of drag queens. My quirk is. Yes. My quirk, is, and then the ice, and then you know, I and they cha- they changed it all around. Yeah. You know? I got uh, to spend the day with Dennis Quaid. He, was, he did. He looked like a movie star. He did. Yeah, he looked like a movie star. Everybody was in that movie. That's right. Did you? Gosh. So, what did you pick up from that? Um, any any tips? Uh, well, 
Dennis really took his time. There was another actress on the show who was since on a, a show on ABC called Revenge. Um, I forget her name. She was in that movie with Daniel Day-Lewis, Last of the Mohicans. Uh-huh. I wish I had the IMDb. Oh, Madeline Stowe. Madeline Stowe. Yes. So Madeline Stowe came in for her makeup test, and she came into the makeup room, and no makeup at all. Still a very beautiful lady. Yeah. And then while I was shooting my scene at lunch, they were going to do her makeup test, and they brought her out into the light, and I was like... That's a movie star. Yeah, that's that's a movie star. You gotta. That's what a movie star looks like. Mm-hmm. Like if you, where are you gonna work? Burger King. Like like, <laughs> she just everything about her face was just perfect. And just looking at the angles, and that's when I realized that's really what it's about. What movie stardom is about? It's about it's, you gotta have somebody with a face that can be that big, right? <laughs> that people will want to look at. Mm-hmm. You a know? presence. Yeah, and sad eyes. Dennis Quaid had a big head. Great yeah. big face, mm-hmm. you know. Did did that make you veer then towards comedy, or ever feel like, well, I'm? I, I'm- I just kind of felt like that's not for me. Mm-hmm. I, I movies have never been, and I've done a couple of movies, but it's never been my goal. TV has always been. That's that was the kind of like the magic portal for me. That always seemed doable, and it still does. I think it's because you're so funny, and also your own story. Like you, you know, I I was once told, as I mentioned this in the book, mm-hmm. that I was more. I personally was more interesting than any character I would play, huh. and so sometimes it was difficult to put me in a movie because she's too interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Isn't that terrible? But yeah. it looks sort of like. You're being restrained mm-hmm. from being interesting. Yeah. And I feel the same way about you. Like, you just telling stories... Is interesting. It's fun. It's <laughs> more interesting than you coming in with a... Right, right. It's kind of organs. hard to cover up. It's kind of hard to camouflage who you are. Yes. But you've gotten to be in stuff where you've... I felt like you've really broken out and played another character and lived a whole life. Yeah, the Grace most... of My Heart is one of my favorite movies. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Well, that's when I started doing more collaborations mm-hmm. or working with people that are, you know, very interesting, like Terry Zweigoff or right. Gus Van Zandt, where your personality can, you know, bleed through. We, you know, the some of the issues I've had, like I said, when you're the funny friend right. and you're just supposed to, you know, come yeah. in and support the lead. Yeah. Uh, although I love doing it because mm-hmm. I love movie stars. Right. It's too. called a feeder tube role. I'm the feeder tube. <laughs> Is that what it's yeah. called? Yeah, supposed to get you to the next situation or editorializing your curtain situation. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Pump, pump them up. So right. then, so you moved in. So so you did the movies. Then you moved into a TV. And there's yeah. a great quote which I thought it was so funny that you said, uh, "L.A. That's where you go to give up." <laughs> <laughs> did I say that? Yes. I love L.A. That's where you go to give up. Just going to give up. I'm sure I meant surrender. Yeah. <laughs> kind of just get swept up in the tide. But does that mean like at a house and a pool? And I guess so. I was sort of seduced by... Oh, yeah. Like, you know, you do all these indie movies. You're sure. like, great. I critical acclaim. Yeah. I, could, I could use a house right. with, a, with a pool yeah. now. I, didn't, I never got the house with a pool. I, got, I did get a house. Uh-huh. I got like the four-season sitcom house yes which let me but let me stick to something in my price range that i can keep (laughs) going after this they pull the plug on this show you know and what was the first uh sitcom you you uh uh, was the first one i i did was it some of i did a a benefit this weekend that Uh marcia gay harden was at yes and we were in that was the very first sitcom that i got when i got to la in 1998 you did a sitcom with marcia gay harden yeah cbs i was playing her butler 
Yeah, I was I was like her manservant. It was called Bianne Neville. It was kind of like she was a designer, and Danny Jacobson was the writer and producer. Yeah, and we all uh, rehearsed for a week, uh-huh. and then after a week, half the cast was fired. And then Marsha was pregnant, and they said, we're going to take a pregnant break, and then we never got back to it again. So I saw Marsha this weekend, and I said, we did a pilot together 20 years ago. And she said, you really do need to move on. There's more for you. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, okay, Oscar winner. <laughs> Boy. But that was my first, and then I did some of my best friends, which, yeah. uh, again, like we aired five times in four different time slots. And I thought I was never going to work again. And then I got Half and Half, which ran for four seasons on yeah. UPN, which we used to call – it was all black comedies. Yes. Uh, so we used to call it the You People's Network. Right. Um, and then I did Ugly Betty for four seasons and then Desperate Housewives. And then yeah. I'm just floating from TV show to TV show. Did you uh, tell me about your experience on Desperate Housewives? That was really of its moment. Uh, yeah. Mark Cherry. Yeah. Yeah, because Mark Cherry had um, written some of my best friends. Right. So he, he popped me into Desperate Housewives. I played um, the quirky best friend of Eva Longoria for a couple seasons. Yeah. And, um, do you ever resent that? Like, I resented it sometimes. Like, um, they do 30 takes with me off camera. Right. <laughs> you know? Um, okay, we're ready for you. I don't know. I think you have more self esteem than I do. Really? <laughs> So you're just like, as long as I'm, I'm just here. I'm glad to be here. You know, uh, to me, that was fun because it was filmed on the universe a lot. And I always yeah. took that tour as a kid. Uh, uh, you know, that street was where the Munsters lived. Yeah. You know, Wisteria Lane is where the Munsters lived when I was a kid. It's where Leave It to Beaver was shot and all those. That's so amazing. I was so delighted to kind of be on that lot and everything. Yeah. And also, I'd never been on a show that was produced by out gay people before. Yeah. And the vibe was completely different. Mm-hmm. There were there were women were empowered. Women yeah. felt relaxed. It didn't have kind of like because I've been on straight guy sets and straight mm-hmm. guy vibes where it's ex- exclusively that, and this was not that at all. It was yeah. so relaxed. Would there ever be a desperate housewives reunion? I don't know. Wouldn't that be fun? I don't know. I don't think there nobody's speaking to anybody. How <laughs> <laughs> it all ends up <laughs> like Sex in the City. Everyone's fighting. Oh wow! Can you believe it? It's mm-hmm. just like nobody wants to make money. Nobody wants to work. Nobody wants to. It's that bad. I don't know. Well, you could do. What if you do a drag version of? Uh, I'm sure it already exists. I'm sure of, they're already they're already doing that. Of Sex, Sex in, in the, the city. city. Yeah, I mean, it was such a drag show to begin with. Were you ever on that show? Uh, I was not. Hmm. I was not. Uh, I I remember back in the day auditioning for it. And yeah, they, me too. And they told me I was too much like Sarah Jessica Parker, oh. which is like not remotely true. Oh, okay, but, all right. But, you know, but they tell you these yeah. crazy, yeah, these crazy things. Yeah, I had a, a, a audition for to play Stanford Blatch in the pilot, Ooh. and I was one of those <sighs> things where I walked out and I was like, nailed it. Right. I know. Never heard it? from them again. I know. Yeah, I, I, and it was one of those calls where you went in and the casting director said, "Could you stick around for a second? Could oh, you like just stay?" No. And the rest of the actors are like. Oof. Ugh. Yeah. And then, yeah. Never heard from them again. Oh God, yeah. I hate. Are you? Do you like? I hate auditioning. I um, I don't, don't mind it, but I'm not it. a good barometer. Every time I feel like I've nailed something, it's, me too. I I don't get it. Yeah. And every time I feel like last year I was up for a pilot for NBC and mm-hmm. I walked out of there and I, I was so convinced I was I bombed. I was on the universe a lot. I yeah. walked to New York Street in the back lot, sat in a stoop oh. on New York Street and started oh. to cry. Because I was just oh, so awful. And then it started to rain. It couldn't have been more cinematic. Wow. And, and I got it. 
So I don't know anything anymore. Isn't that funny? So by the time you got it, does it even matter? Or, or are you so It mattered to me, sure. Yeah, oh. super excited. I feel like yeah. I, by, by the time the adrenaline has gone through me, I'm You're like, done. what? Oh, who cares? <laughs> I got it. Yeah. That's what I'll tell everyone after. I guess I'm, I still get excited. I yeah. still get, you know, mm-hmm. I think part of me is like still a kid from San Francisco who watched the whole world through a television screen and wanted to get in and wanted to fit in and wanted to be a part of that. So yeah. I'm, it's not something I'm jaded about. Are, and so you're doing stand-up. We're mm-hmm. kind of running out of time. So oh, the, okay. Well, I, I got to go pick up somebody oh, in the airport at some point. Oh. Yeah. Are, are the, uh, I was gonna, I want to ask you two things. Yes. One is, <laughs> uh, uh, and then please come back. Yes. But um, of course. You're doing more and more. I was in preparation. I was watching a lot of your stand-up. I'm sorry. Which I know. I, I <laughs> okay. love. It's All so right. funny. <laughs> And are you doing more and more stand-up? I think so. I, well, locally, I, it's a hard thing to do when you have a kid. Yeah. Because it's also a nighttime job. Exactly. And it's a road job. And I, it's not something I love. It's something I can do. And it's something that creates opportunities. So yeah. it's like, okay. I like it when it's in a theatrical... I uh, like storytelling. I like on cabaret. Yeah. I like a theatrical. I like taking people on a journey. Because when, you, when you're when you at like the Laugh Factory, the comedy store, the really onus is on you to hit it every single second. Right. And that's not who I am. Joke, joke, I'm joke. I'm a raconteur. Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. That's why when um, when we did the little reading and you read the in the key of Liza, you did you read it the best. Of oh, any, thank you. Of anybody, I thank felt you. like well, you it was really... the material. Let's be honest. Well, no, I just I felt am but like... a vessel. <laughs> I just felt like again, you understood the just the idea yeah. of the the insanity of when you're young. But that's because and... we're all that kid. Yeah. I mean, you captured that moment where you're just completely shameless. Yeah. I practiced this by singing along to the record. So right. of course it's going to work out in real life. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Didn't even occur to you no. to rehearse with the sheet music with somebody else. No. Yeah, no. And my mom Luke, was so cheap too. Like she didn't even <laughs> want to buy me the cheap, the sheet music. Right. It's like, can't you just bring the record? Oh my god! No, mom. Sheet I, music I? stores. Yeah, Remember the Colony on Forty Ninth Street and Broadway. Oh. You could buy all the sheet music to everything. I know. Yeah. I I used to uh, no. I used to haunt that place. And again, it was funny. My first job was at the Brill Building. Mm-hmm. Everything is cyclical. And, yeah, and some weird. You're like, have I created this because I've is that chime? You were me. That was me. Okay. Sadly, that was me. That was my doorbell uh, song. Okay, the last thing I was going to talk about is your uh, m- what movies are, are you showing your son? Oh, what Zion. a good question! Do you have move go to movies with him? Um, you say he's thirteen now. He's thirteen, so he's kind of getting out of the young, the young kind of Marvel superhero thing, right? I remember. The Force Awakens being very important to us as a family because John Boyega looks is in that movie and he looks exactly like my son. Uh-huh. Like my son is like a 13-year-old version of John Boyega. Uh-huh. And I thought that it was very important for my son to have that experience where he saw uh, a black protagonist yeah. on screen mm-hmm. now. And I feel that – and that was – and then to a certain degree, also with Black Panther as well. Yeah. That, uh, that, that kind of seeing black characters with power, with agency, and was very important because all of the stuff I had been taking him before was all like a lot of like really dreary kind of, you know, where black people were victimized, you know, right. Selma, the civil rights, which I, is an important part of the story. Uh-huh. But to see him, to see black people who are heroic, 
yes. and have power right. and have beauty was is just as important to now, me. Now, what about mo- a movie like Stir Crazy or something? With Have, like, you haven't seen that with you know, him yet. Like, yeah. Uh, which, you know, I, it was part of my sort of bread and butter Richard up. Pryor. Just I just thought, like, yeah. like, Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder in that so movie. So funny. Yeah, I remember um, Silver Streak. Yeah. Yeah, Silver Streak. Richard Pryor, that's a really, really good idea. I think there was one Richard Pryor movie he did with uh, Cicely Tyson where she's running like an orphanage or something and he's the bus driver. Yeah. Yeah, do you remember that one? I do. I have to look that one up. I went into like a real, you know, with my comedy of Groucho Marx and and then Mm -hmm. I discovered like Richard Pryor and all those Richard Pryor movies. Yeah, yeah. All the concert films. Oh my gosh. And even uh, Lady Sings the Blues, even though it's beautiful in that. Sophisticated. He's beautiful in that and Diana Ross is amazing in that movie. Yeah, yeah. And what? And does he like musicals at all? Or not really? Really? No. Is that it? Is no. that no? He's, have you he's, failed? And there, I, I have failed. <laughs> I have failed. And I tried. Listen, I tried. He's, he's a heterosexual man. It's too late. <laughs> I took him to the Sound of Music sing along. I got. I bought him gender nonconforming toys. Nothing. Did uh, what about like parent teacher meetings? Are you incredibly popular? Do, like, uh, do they love? No. Really? No. Oh my I'm so god! Everything you're like the fun. Parent. No, no, I'm grouchy at school. Really? <laughs> yeah, because it's the, it's not good news. You're at school to find out what's my oh. kid up to. What's he doing wrong? What's he? You yes. know? Yeah. So you got. So you're on a. Are you doing the pilot, or you already did it? I already did it. Already didn't get picked up. Oh yeah. god. Yeah. Well, yeah. that was horrible. Yeah, it was Tina Fey. There's no such oh. thing as a sure thing in this business. What? Tina Fey produced it, and Robert Carla. Uh, Carlock? Carlisle? That was the team from Kimmy Schmidt. Yeah. And the writers from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Such a funny script. It was so great. I did a character. I based her on uh, Faye Dunaway in Network. It was uh-huh. a publicist who never stopped talking. Yeah. Never took a breath. Just it was always pitching. You don't remember <laughs> that scene where she's just like pitching like the news yes. and everything? Yeah. And so I just based it on that. I said, never breathe. Just never breathed. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, it'll be, up. you'll see. It'll lead oh, to well. something. It always does. All right, Alex. All roads lead back to Ileana Douglas. <laughs> That's right. Back in the 80s in a hotel room with Quaaludes. With Quaaludes, getting paid in Quaaludes. Look for Alec on his comedy special on Vimeo, Baby Daddy. And yes. you can follow him on yes. Twitter at Alec Mappa, A-L-E-C-M-A-P-A. Very good. His website is alecmappa.com. Huh. You can follow me Thank on Instagram, you. too, at Alec Oh, and Mappa. Instagram yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. And you can yep. buy Ileana's book, I Blame Dennis Hopper. Right. It's out in paperback now. It's so you good. You should buy it. Oh, you should read you. it. Yeah. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. Also, like us on Facebook and check out our website, ilianaspodcast.com. And uh, I'm going to add one thing because I forgot to get it right. to it. In my research of you, when you you grew up in the 70s, I had the same thing with a folk mass. Because my, my mom was oh, yeah. Catholic. Oh, yeah. Folk mass. Folk mass. But horrible. I, I, the Catholic Church was like, in Connecticut, was like, really? Are you really going to make me go? Yeah. But like all my friends went to the fun, congregational, yeah. hippie folk mass. Folk mass. Yeah, yeah. We did all that. You know. God spell. Michael wrote yeah, the vote. <laughs> sure. Day by day. Pilgrim Fellowship. We used to go PF camp. Wherever. It's so corny. I know. It was, it was so corny. I know, I know. But yeah. I loved it. It just it was like growing up in the 50s yeah. or something. Yeah. We had wonderful childhoods. We did. Okay, as I always say, everyone's life is like a movie with a beginning, a middle, and an end. And uh, today our movie is starred Alec Mappa. Thank you oh, so much. Oh, thank you for having me. It's good it's to It's been an you. absolute blast. Oh, good. Please come back anytime. completely sober the entire time.
damn it. <laughs> Next time it'll be different. I'm, I'm taking up that producer on that uh, bottle of rosé. On the bottle of rosé. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everyone. Have a great See you day. See next time, everybody. Thanks. Thanks. From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.